Kenny Brachuk here, and welcome to episode 16 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly, vigorously, and methodically pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. You ought to write that down. We have a punitive episode planned for today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts, you, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can always tune in afterwards or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google, or whatever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today for the you part of the show, we have a mix of new questions. And speaking of punitive, there's one on student debt, another one on common core, and I don't mean shared apples. State nullification, not what you mean, what you think I mean either. And a follow-up on state-sponsored marriages. And if there's time, maybe we'll get into casinos, vaccinations, medical insurance, more and more and more. After part one, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing Pennsylvania. And our guest today is kind of a mix of all three. We've got Robert Lankin, a mass incarceration expert. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. I often try to segue off our guest, and today is no different. So I'm going to continue my rant against the quote-unquote justice system. Instead of expensive lawyers and overcomplicated rules, today I'm going to talk about the courts. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes into our mailbag. Break out your number two pencils, because today we have a member of the Educational Testing Service Toastmasters, Margaret Sassuni. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Margaret. Thank you, Ken. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. Let me ask you, what do you like about Toastmasters? Wow, where do I even start? <laughs> I, I started five years ago when I was a nerd system analyst, and I came into the meeting, and I saw how confident everybody was up there, and I had to come back for more. Um, you know, it broke me out from my shell. I stopped being a systems analyst. I'm a, I became a manager where you have more responsibilities, Uh-oh. and you have to actually go in front of a live group and do all kinds of PowerPoint presentations. So I had to talk to talk and walk the walk. Yeah. So it just made me branch out and become a, whole, a totally different person. So I was an introvert and now I'm an extrovert, wow. thanks to Toastmasters. Your story parallels mine. Because yeah. I, I used to get asthma attacks if I tried to speak in public. And butterflies in my stomach. Uh, I had pterodactyls, pointy wings and everything. But that's over, that was in the past. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. I appreciate it, thank you. Okay, let's dig into the mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but mainly to explore solutions. So what do we have, Margaret? Our first question comes from Bernie McCann. He's from Elwood City, Pennsylvania. Given that Sally Mae gets the full principal and interest from the feds when a student defaults on their loan, and then after the loan is paid off by the feds, they go after the borrower for the loan and get paid twice, 25% to collection agency and 75% to Sally Mae. Do you think that they should pay the money they collect after reimbursement by taxpayers back to the taxpayers? What do you think? <laughs> well, Bernie, the first thing I think is that this is a federal issue. And here at the Pennsylvania Project, we are all Pennsylvania. 
but that doesn't stop me from having an opinion because your situation is a classic example of not solving the correct problem. First of all, nowhere in the federal constitution is there any authority for the government to offer student loans. So right off the bat, the whole scheme is illegal. It doesn't matter who's getting paid. Just another case of special interest feeding at the public trough. And it's not just Sally Mae, but also the colleges that it funds and feeds. Problem is not, the problem to solve is not who makes what percentage, or who pays back how much to whom or when, or who's milking the taxpayers today. The main problem to solve is obeying the law, and plainly, that's just not happening. Now, there's a separate problem hiding back there, and one that can be solved, and that's how to pay for higher education, and hopefully with some sort of a legal solution this time. I don't know if you're tuning in. We had a similar question in Episode 8 about, quote-unquote, free education. You can tell I love air quotes, can't you? I talked about how schools have priced themselves out of the market, primarily because of the government and Sally Mae picking up the tab. So that current incorrect solution is creating its own new problems. All sorts of them. Like, nobody can afford college anymore. I hear college enrollments are down about 25% last year, according to Forbes. And look at all the people who are coming home with six-figure debts. Good grief, I didn't even pay that much for my house. We're all about solutions here at the Pennsylvania Project. And I think a more correct solution to the problem of education is apprentice programs, not glad-handing taxpayer dollars to one person or the other. And there's a lot more I could say about that. In fact, I already did. And pardon me if I don't go into all the details again, Bernie. You can check it out yourself. It's all right at the beginning of episode eight. And this is what, episode 16, half as long ago. Nick Mick from East Fredericktown, Pennsylvania wants to know, what should be done about Common Core? Common Core, another education question. And as I said, it's not about the middles of apples. Common Core, it's an example of one size fits none micromanaged by the federal government of what happens in your local school. Common Core, in case you didn't know, is a curriculum dictated by the feds, and they use it as a, as a uh, some sort of a incentive, because if you want to receive their tax dollars, or our tax dollars, I should say, then it helps if you adopt their Common Core. You know, to be fair, it is a well-intentioned attempt to define nationwide standard curriculum. But, you know, I've looked into it, and it takes no account of any regional interests, cultural differences, student interests, interests, career goals. You know, somebody who's going to be going into, I don't know, ditch digging is not going to need algebra, calculus, or anything like that. So it, Common Core pushes one topic over another. It pushes out one topic for another, especially when you compare it to some of the private schools. Parents might prefer a different prioritization. of them. That's why they go to the private schools. Common Core encourages nationalized assessments and teaching to the test because it is standardized. And it tends to wind up as the lowest common denominator curriculum, not targeted at each student's particular abilities. I know a lot of people who the, even the regular education system doesn't quite make it. I should probably do a future show about Pennsylvania special education. There's there's some good parts to that. But if you ask me, and you did, a school's curriculum should not be dictated by any sort of a national standard. They should be set locally. We should let parents decide, not politicians. Because I remember some of the other improvements. When I was in school, in grade school, they had something called synthetic division. It's like long division, only harder. Remember outcomes-based education about 20 years ago? No child left behind, what, 10, 15 years ago? Where are they all now? They're all experiments on our children. Pennsylvania tried Common Core, the latest fad. It was abandoned many, many years ago. 
Pennsylvania found it too expensive, too rigid, too reliant on standardized tests, and a lot of people called it just another fad. A fad with good intentions, but we all know it's paved with good intentions. What do I think should be done with Common Core? I think it should be made uncommon. Lisa Galbraith from Montgomery County wants to know, where do you stand on our constitutional rights, both state and federal, and state's nullification? Well, they're never far from my elbow, about six inches at the moment. But Lisa, pardon me if I quibble with your question because we don't have any constitutional rights. What we have are inalienable rights that are secured by the Constitution. I consider that an important distinction because we don't get our rights from the Constitution. They're already there. It's the reason for having a Constitution in the first place. It's there to protect them. That said, everybody knows where I stand on the Constitution. Like I said, it's six inches from my elbow, eight inches now. I'm a firm believer in the rule of law, especially a constitution based on individual rights like Pennsylvania's constitution is. At least it's based on individual rights when, it follow, when somebody follows it anyway. And, you know, I'm planning an upcoming episode exclusively about the Pennsylvania constitution and all the ways it's being ignored. I think I've come up with about 15 or 20 of them so far. And it is being ignored, but I digress. The important thing to focus on in your question is that term, though, not about state, federal constitution, whether or not how it secures rights or rights are secured first. You use the phrase state's nullification. Many people probably have never heard of that concept. I never heard about it until I started hanging around with libertarians. State's nullification, it's based on the 10th Amendment to the United States Constitution. And I can read that for you. I actually have it memorized like a lot of other parts. Quote, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Pretty plain language, like most constitutions. That means if it's not mentioned in the federal constitution, then the federal government can't do it. What a revolutionary idea that one is. I like that. It's a logical idea, too, because if it's not in there, can't do it. And, you know, this reflects back on that question, about Bernie's question about Sally May. Because student loans aren't mentioned in the federal constitution. Feds can't do it. Like I said, it's illegal. Schools aren't mentioned in the federal constitution. So the feds with their one-size-fits-none common core curriculums, they can't do that. Kicking it up a level, Department of Education, no authorization. Department of Energy, FDA, EPA, BATF, the drug war, whatever it may be. or a zillion other things that the feds like to do. They have zero constitutional authority for most of it except what's in Article 1, Section 8. But you can go read the Constitution yourself to see what that is. But getting back to states' nullification, the idea is just that. If something's not mentioned in the federal Constitution, that states can nullify it. They can refuse to obey it, refuse to fund it, refuse to use it, and can take active states' steps to prevent it from being implemented. It, only within that state, of course. We are a republic, as the pledge says. The nullification, it's one of the checks and balances that keeps the federal government from overreaching like they're doing now. And it's definitely a solution that we in Pennsylvania should be pursuing. And there, there's lots more I could say about it, too. I was thinking I should save this for one of my crawl rants at the end of the show. And it, I guess I will say one thing. A couple of years ago, I attended a Tenth Amendment conference by the Tenth Amendment Center. I would recommend visiting their website. I guess it's TenthAmendmentCenter.com or something like that. I don't know off the top of my head. But getting back to Lisa's original question, where do I stand on states' nullification? It's a legal power that we should be using all the time, every time the feds do another one of their power grabs. But nobody's doing it. The governor's not doing it. 
maybe I should consider running for governor or something. What do you think? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> John McCoola from Re Reading, Pennsylvania wants to know, when it comes to marriage, I like your idea that the government will not be involved. I personally support traditional marriage because of my faith, but the government has no right to get involved. My question is, are they protected under your plan if they refuse to marry a same-sex couple? Oh, John, your, your opening lines are music to my ears. Absolutely. I talked about this one at length in episode six, how it sticks in my craw. The government even tries to muscle into the marriage businesses. Do you know marriage licenses were originally created to prevent interracial marriages? I, saw, I don't see any nods of heads around the room here. Most people don't know that. And, you know, today they're using those same racist techniques to stop Ligbit, LGBT, I call them Ligbits, to stop Ligbit marriages. I'm not going to go through that entire rant again, but to answer the immediate question at hand, as a libertarian, I believe you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only you respect the rights and property of others. So if you want to marry same-sex couples, go ahead. If you don't, fine by me. If you don't want to bake them a cake, don't. If you do, fine. Just save me a piece. Article 1, Section 3 of the Pennsylvania Constitution agrees with that, by the way. It says you cannot be compelled to maintain any ministry against your consent and that the government cannot interfere with the rights of conscience. So, John, you're on solid ground. Marry people or don't. It's up to you. You know, as the song has gone before, sweet dreams are made of these. Who am I to disagree? To repeat, you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others. Well, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of the show. Time always goes by so quickly here. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be talking with today's guest, Robert Lankin, a mass incarceration expert. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken Crawshawk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my own radio podcast. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. 
It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the Them portion of Episode 16 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, my guest today is a combination of all three. We've got Robert Lankin. He's an attorney and a, and a mass incarceration expert. He's been a prison volunteer for 35 years, currently a member of the Policy Committee of the Pennsylvania Prison Society, and also the Corrections on the Corrections Committee of the Pennsylvania Bar Association. And he's a past Toastmaster. And when I was Toastmasters Division Governor, he was one of my area governors. Bob, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Thank you, Ken. Good to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Man, so it's not like the prison here, right? You're, you're stuck in a studio, but it's not like the prison situation you're in. Well, the situation that we're in as a state, Ken, is a very serious problem. I believe it. We have 47,000 people in state prisons in Pennsylvania, but actually we have over 95,000 people incarcerated in the state, Ken. What, what do you mean? What's the difference in prison versus incarcerated? Well, Ken, we have 67 county prisons in Pennsylvania. We have federal prisons in Pennsylvania. We have juvenile prisons in Pennsylvania. Huh. That's prison industrial complex they're always talking about. Well, if we try to calculate how much it's costing us as taxpayers. We know that the Pennsylvania prisons, the state prison, which we have 47,000 people, is currently budgeted around $2.5 billion a year. But when we dig into that, we find out, Ken, that it doesn't count the pensions of the correctional officers. Oops. We're talking about $5 billion a year in Pennsylvania, $80 billion a year in this country on prisons. Well, what was that Pennsylvania number, $5 billion? $5 billion has is, is been an estimate that's made because we don't really know how much all the county prisons cost. Wow. Why not? Well, I mean, isn't that public knowledge? I'd go to a prison expert and ask him the question. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. But the point is that we have too many people in prison compared to other NATO countries. Uh-huh. Per 100,000 of population, Pennsylvania has around 750 people in prison. Almost three-quarters of one percent of the people in Pennsylvania are currently incarcerated. Wow, I'm sitting here right now. Other countries are looking at 100 to 200 to 300 people incarcerated per 100,000. That's crazy. What are they in for? I mean, these are all murderers and robbers. Are they pot-smoking Grateful Dead fans? Actually, Ken, over half the people admitted to prison and jails in the last year in Pennsylvania were admitted because they're probation and parole violators. Half of them are parole violators? Half of the people who were admitted, not half the people inside. Okay. What's what's the difference? Because you're admitted, you're inside, but they don't stay long? Well, we're talking about people who've already been released, but because we have one of the most onerous systems of probation and parole of any state, we have too many people that are being supervised for too long. Well, now, wait a minute. I mean, these are bad, really bad guys, and we're letting them out on parole, what, for financial reasons, I guess? I mean, why wouldn't you want those terms to be onerous? Ken, when you put a person in, in parole for an excessively long period of time, it's only a matter of time till he misses a couple of appointments, uh, or see. gets caught inside a bar, uh-huh. not allowed in a bar, 
or he goes to another county to go to a ball game or leaves the state without permission. Uh-huh. And you actually have a curfew of 9 or 10 o'clock at night when you're on parole. So you're talking about people who have all kinds of rules that you and I don't have. One of our fellows at the State Correctional Institution of Phoenix that was recently released, on his first offense, he was sentenced to 21 to 42 years. Now, he was released after 21 years. He's going to be on parole for 21 more years. Hmm. This is a man now is 47. He's not the same person that committed the crime. True. That's crazy. Isn't it? Now, the longer you wait, I mean, just the, the law of averages is going to catch up with you. Exactly. Sooner or later, you're just going to slip up or something's going to go wrong. Or even they could get it wrong. It could be a judicial mistake. Well, the politicians will tell you that uh, we don't want to release people from prison because of it's 65% or 70% uh, commit another crime or eventually put back in prison. Mm-hmm. But society is not interested in recidivism, Ken. If they were, if we were interested in recidivism and reducing it, we would do something with the 96,000 people who are, are incarcerated. We would have schools there. We would be teaching them something and we would provide benefits and incentives for them to complete their programs. Now. Until 1994, the United States of America had a Pell Grant system that prisoners were allowed to use. So people were getting higher education in prison. We had over 350 colleges and universities that were providing courses for people. And it was established fact that people who took a year or more of college inside a prison had a much lower recidivism rate. Uh In 1994, under the crime bill passed by the Clinton administration, the Pell Grants were eliminated. 350 colleges pulled out of the prison system. Now we have a new uh, uh, starting program, and there's about 10,000 people in the country that are taking college courses under the Pell Grants under a pilot program. Mm-hmm. Well, why rely on the federal government for that kind of stuff? I have a, a standard thing that I like to say. Matter of fact, it's a shame we're not on, on video. I guess I could do it for the YouTube camera. But every time you send a dollar to Washington, the vast majority of that dollar gets eaten up in the bureaucracy. And if Washington sends that dollar back to the states, then the vast majority of what comes back to the states gets eaten up by the bureaucracy. Ken, it doesn't matter who pays for it. Sure it does because you could help. You're lucky if you get a dime on the dollar back on that federal dollar. So you could help – if you kept that money local, you could help ten times as many people. Okay, fine. Then tax them locally. But meanwhile, we need to get people educated inside the prison. Education is the magic pill. It is the pill that will – lower the number of people arrested in the first place Uh it will lower the number of people committing crimes Uh and it will lower the people repeat offenders when they come out so however you choose to pay for it and that's okay with me we need to perform education as the solution to this whole problem yep i'm not arguing with your solution i think it's a great solution i was arguing with your means that's okay as as a libertarian the last thing i ever think about is any is complicating the tax law or taxing or taking money out of your wallet without your permission I just don't like to do that. We had a guy, oh, and I can't remember. I don't have it written down. Chris Dreisbach was our guest, and he runs a drug rehab program, and he pays for it out of his own pocket. 
he tries to avoid getting federal money because what happens is you wind up with all these federal strings and everything like that. It's just not the, not the best solution in the world. He's really an admirable guy that he does it himself. So it, and as I said, you could be able to help 10 times as many people if you keep that funding locally. So I agree with your, with your ends, just not your, not your means. Well, I, I am not advocating for one way of paying for it or not. But I can say this, Ken, and you did bring up uh, drug counseling. We have dumped the drug problem onto the prison system. By not having sufficient drug rehabilitation in the public sector and having insufficient drug rehabilitation inside the prison system, we are leaving ourselves with an open problem. Also, society has dumped all of the problems of mental illness onto the police and to the prisons. Uh And this is unacceptable uh, because it doesn't solve our problem. You're, you're pushing one of my buttons here about the, the drug war. I mean, th- none of these drug people belong in prison at all, zero. In fact, when I was running for governor of Pennsylvania in 2018, one of my main platform planks was that I was going to use the power of the pardon, day one, to pardon every single nonviolent drug offender. Because they don't belong in prison. So, as I mentioned earlier, just joking around, the pot-smoking Grateful Dead fans, they don't belong in prison. Certainly the Hot tie-dyes brighten up the colors a bit inside, but it's you're right. It's absolutely not a prison problem. And I, I went on about this, good grief, it was in episode 10. One things was sticking in my craw. That whole thing was dedicated to the drug war. Portugal has managed to reduce their opioid deaths by 85% by ending their drug war. So it's not supposed to be a criminal justice problem it's supposed to be a social problem and it's the laws that make those things so bad so again i'm agreeing with you it's just the why are these people in there big difference ken we're not going to solve the prison problem alone by solving the drug problem because we are incarcerating people for too long for all kinds of offenses i agree with that we have mandatory mandatory minimums. minimums yeah they're awful mandatory minimums basically say that the legislature is going to determine how much time you're going to need to serve. The legislature, who hasn't heard the evidence, hasn't seen the witnesses, hasn't heard what your story right. is. The best person to determine a sentence, Ken, is the judge who has heard all the evidence and the jury. That's where the punishment should be meted out. Uh-huh. I have agree with you on that one, but I'll hold that one off because I'm going to mention that in my rant about the courts later on because there there are alternative solutions that that we could pursue that way but i agree with you a thousand percent mandatory minimums are just like bad how can they even know what's going on it's like might as well have a computer doing the judging at that point you know "Eh, you stole five hundred dollars you're in jail for 10 years "Eh." crazy you know what else is a problem ken we have the largest population in pennsylvania of life in prison without parole Uh uh-huh now Life in prison without parole still enables the governor to form a pardon, but that's very, very difficult, and they don't oh, do yeah. very many. So we have life in prison without parole. So a person who commits a crime at 20 years old, a, a capital offense at 20 years old, after 30 years, he's 50 years old, and it's usually a he, and he is not allowed to tell the, the parole board how he's changed. That he's gotten a college degree. Who says? That because there's no parole board will hear him. He has a sentence of life in prison without I see, parole. I see, I see. Now, let me say something, Ken, about costs. If you take that person and you find two people 
in Pennsylvania, just two, who are now 50 years old, who have served 30 years, Mm -hmm. who are deserving of parole. And I'm not saying everybody is. Okay, fair statement. And you release them, and they don't serve 30 more years incarcerated, you will save enough money to pay for a school teacher. Ken, for their entire career. Mm -hmm. Just each two people that you let out will save enough money to pay a school teacher. Now, why do we have so many people in prison? And I would like to point out that there are powerful economic forces which are causing us to incarcerate so many people. I would agree with that. I want to back up to your, some of those numbers about life with you know prison, being in prison without parole. Commonwealth, the Commonwealth Foundation, I'll get it right, in Harrisburg did a study a number of years ago, and they found that 95% of all crimes are only committed by 5% of the criminals. So if you eliminated parole for violent criminals, you're guaranteed to reduce crime. So now we have two sides of the coin here. I mean, what do you want to do? Do you want to reduce crime or do you want to save money? I think that the role of government should be more to be saving money because, well, I'm a libertarian and I think your tax money should stay there anyway. People age out of crime. People who are committing crimes <laughs> are younger for the most part. When you get to pers- people who are 40, 50, and 60 years old, they age out. But we have a very, very silly situation in Pennsylvania that we don't even let people out when they're dying. Uh-huh. You're right about the aging out. Just don't ask me about my younger years. My guest today, Robert Lincoln, a mass incarceration expert, and I'm hearing why he calls himself that. And you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and we'll be right back after this information. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Ironwell Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Ironwell has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Ironwell Tattoo Club. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y.com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. 
The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has always been and always will be to our clients. 866-383-6899. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities, LLC member of FINRA, SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with the Gradient Securities, LLC. You've been registered Libertarian for years, voted for Libertarians even longer, and lived by Libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march toward liberty in Pennsylvania, take an active role in making it happen, maybe even consider running for political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Thank you, Margaret. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with episode 16 of the Pennsylvania Project and our mass incarceration expert locked up here in the room, Bob Lankin. And as I always like to say, he did not run away and I did not lock the doors. Still here. You know, before the break, we touched on something that I think is maybe a key factor here. The question of safety versus cost. You know, he said, well, we could pay for a teacher if we let two people out, these lifers and parole. But, and, and you make a good point that a lot of people grow out of their, their earlier things. But I mean, what's... What would be more important here, the safety? I mean, why do we put people in prison in the first place? Why do you think? You're the expert. There's only really two good reasons to put a person in prison. One is to eliminate them from society and causing further harm. Mm-hmm. And the second is to punish them for their crimes so that people don't commit crimes. But there's a third reason that it actually is in effect, which is retribution. Mm-hmm. Revenge. And revenge. Can... If you, as a crime victim, want revenge, that's certainly an honest feeling, and I respect your feeling. But as a taxpayer, I don't choose to pay for it. I believe a person should be punished sufficiently, and I believe that if he's a hazard to society, he needs to be removed from society. And when he is no longer a hazard to society, and when a reasonable people or judges determine that he's been punished sufficiently for his crime, he needs to be released. Hmm. So when you have someone who's committed a capital offense, and there are bills have been proposed in the Pennsylvania legislature, uh, if a person has been committed, convicted of a capital offense and he served one bill proposed 15 years, others 25 or 30, they should be allowed to tell their story to the parole board. Not to get released, Ken, but to at least have the opportunity to be released if, in fact, they're deserving of that. 
Uh-huh. And we have a system that causes them to die in prison that's, in that's a ripe true. old age. And the only reason to do that is the retribution. Well, you know, and let me take an even step a step further back. You know, you've got the three things, safety versus punishment versus retribution. I would say those last two are really the same thing because you got retribution on behalf of the victims, but punishment, you're doing that on behalf of the government. And I'm not sure that that's really a role the government should be playing. I mean, why are they playing like they're, you know, I'm the dad, now I'm going to punish you. you got to go sit in the corner yourself for the next 30 years or whatever it is. I, I don't think that that's a role the government should be playing. To my mind, the only role for government, speaking as a libertarian here too and personally, the only role for government is to protect the rights and property of the citizens. That's it. shouldn't be involved in revenge. It shouldn't be involved in punishment or anything like that. The goal is to protect the citizens. So and to my mind, that's one of the reasons, and you echoed this, you put them in prison to, for the safety aspect. And I think that the safety aspect is probably the only valid one because if they're going to punish you, then you've now gone from the objective safety to the subjective, well, I'm mad at you. I'm going to do it. You know, and there, there are some parents who overpunish their kids. I've seen it. You know, so why do you think the government should be punishing people? Punishment and taking them out of society is really two sides of the same coin. I would agree with that. And it's excessive punishment and excessively incarcerating people that I have a problem with. Uh huh. Yeah, and, and that's what you were saying. And first half of the show there because if they grow out of their problem whatever it may have been then now the, the safety aspect has been has been removed you know under under the old english common law i don't think you could put in jail for more than seven years and that was what they looked at no matter what it was after seven years there you actually could, was not prisons as we know them before the 19th century really this whole idea of a penitentiary is only existed in the 19th century. And from Bible times, there were actually no prisons at all. And so only a few examples in ancient literature of having prisons. What did they use in the old days? Well, they Australia? executed you. They cut off limbs. Uh-huh. They did all sorts of things. Eng- they banished you. They sent you away uh-huh. out into the wilderness. All kinds of things like that. Uh-huh. The idea of a, a penitentiary is really a last 200-year Problem, And, you know, that's interesting because that would be an interesting sentence if you would banish someone instead. Because if you're out to do the safety aspect, it's not, maybe it's not so much of a punishment unless, of course, I was a resident of New Jersey. Then banishment may be a good thing for me. But, for example, if, if the punishment for whatever the crime was said, well, you're not allowed back in Pennsylvania. If we cut you in Pennsylvania, we're going to, I don't know, cut your pinky off or something. Nah, that would be unusual. That would be cruel and unusual. And, you know, just as an aside – we're at the point now where capital punishment is so rare that that could be actually be called unusual. Well, that's what some people are saying, and there's right. actually cases uh, being proposed now uh, to take that to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. We've only had three executions since 1976 in yeah. Pennsylvania, and the current governor has announced a moratorium on them, and he won't sign a death warrant. That's right. And, you know, when I was running for governor, that was part of my platform, too. I refused to sign any sort of a death warrant because I'm not a murderer. Just because somebody says, oh, the government gives you the ability to murder somebody. I don't care. I'm not going to do it anyway. Good grief. I mean, what if you make a mistake? Here's a question I have for you. It's bad enough that people who are convicted of crimes go into prison Mm and jail. How would you feel if I told you that there's 465,000 people serving incarcerated this evening 
who haven't been convicted of any crime. What was that number again? How many? 465,000 people in the United States are sitting incarcerated today uh-huh. and haven't been convicted of any crime. Well, you know, Bob, I ran for governor of Pennsylvania, and I'm up on all that, and I know what you're going to say. They made a plea bargain, and they were never convicted. No, right? they no? haven't made a plea bargain, Ken. How, then how They're they... waiting trial. Really? Yes. That's interesting. And well, you, you know got what happens? Only there. You know what happens when you are incarcerated before your trial? You have a very difficult time gathering the witnesses and forming your defense. Oh yeah, that reason. And then, of course, what happens is, after you're served for three or four or five months, and someone from the government walks into your cell and says, "Listen, you served four months. You were in a bar fight. You hurt somebody." You serve enough time. How about if you just plead and we'll sentence you to time served? So oh, now man. the person has a lifetime prison record uh-huh. and can't find a job yep. or find a good job or get a license for any difficult profession because he has a police record and he was incarcerated. Uh-huh. Instead of fighting the crime, fighting the charges, and perhaps getting off. Yeah, because no, you're rolling the judicial dice. And exactly. don't, don't get me started about the judicial system. Today's going to be my third rant on it. And you also touched on something about how the people of lesser economic means are more the victim of this. My brother Barry and I just went through a big, long argument about this, about bail. Because people who don't have bail money, they wind up sitting in jail. And this is just what you're talking about, these people who are awaiting trial because they can't come up with the bail money. New Jersey has solved that problem. How did they solve it? We make fun of them. 87% of the people who are arrested in New Jersey are released on their own signature. Really? They go before a judge, and if the judge determines not to be a hazard to society for a moment, they are released. And uh, we haven't seen figures in New Jersey because it's happened more recently, but we have seen figures for Washington, D.C. that does the same thing. Uh 92% of the people in Washington, D.C. that sign their own release appear for trial on the day and time is required. Wow. And about half of the rest eventually get there but they were sick or they had child care issues or whatever oh wow now of the of the remaining what's left over 13 percent in new jersey uh-huh no the, i'm looking 92 percent show up four percent of them eventually show up that leaves you four percent people who who never show up now do they do you have any numbers on that people who sign versus people who put up bail those 4%, are they more likely to forfeit their bail as well, or do they... Well, there's no bail in Washington, D.C., so they're not forfeiting any bail. Uh-huh. But they have now committed another crime, That's which true. is failure to show for your trial. Uh-huh. So I'm just wondering what the... We're getting about the same kind of results with bail. No, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm milking you for information. I go back to my brother Barry and say, ha, here's what Jersey did. Here's what D.C. did. And I want to see how, much, how many people jumped bail and actually forfeited the money. So maybe afterwards, if you if you get me that information, I would, it, for D.C., because they've been around longer, how many people forfeited? Oh, they don't have bail. They don't have bail. No, I, I guess some other state. As compared to another state, how many people forfeit bail? If it's more than 4%, then, Bob, you're way ahead of the game. That's the kind of solution that we're here at Pennsylvania Project to find out about. Ken, I see that you have next to your elbow eight inches, as you said, the United States Constitution. Yes. Did you know, Ken, that slavery is still legal in the United States? Well, of course. There's the draft. Slave armies. Which one are you referring to? 
Well, read the 13th Amendment, and you'll find a big, huge, glaring exception. I can do that. Okay? And the exception is, except as a punishment for, for a crime. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Ken, that means that if you've been sub- subjected to a crime, you are allowed to be a slave. And you know what now. happens? We have in Pennsylvania... Making license plates in prisons. Lots of people who are working for 50 cents to a dollar twenty-five sure. an hour. Sure. They're criminals. They cannot, They're get, prison. they cannot get enough money to get a candy bar together. I, I know, and I know people who've gone to prison. And I'm not advocating that we do this. I'm an advocate for alternatives to prison. Because that goes back to the old beginning of the Quakers when they said, well, if you sat there long enough and considered your crime, that would help straighten you out. Well, in South Africa, uh, they have actually worked on this, and there's all kinds of information on that. Okay. Well, you know what? And I say it all the time. The time just goes too quickly on this. Bob, we're out of time. So this is going to have to wrap it up for the then portion. Do you have any website or something like that you'd like people to go visit or something? Last word? I would say that people should look at the ACLU Smart Justice, www.aclupa.org. Decarcerate Pennsylvania, decarceratepa.com. The Pennsylvania Prison Society, www.prisonsociety.org. Just Leadership, justleadership.org. And the Marshall Project, which sends an interesting email out weekly. That's good. And we'll put all of those links on our website so people can see them. So that's going to have to wrap it up for the then portion of the show. Thanks again to my guest, Bob Lankin, for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information. And when we return, I'll be continuing my rant about something that really sticks in my craw, that quote, unquote, justice system, specifically the courts. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Margaret, how's it going? Meh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out all the tax laws and filing out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16 Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all your taxes and all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. DelawareValleyWholesaleDeals.com. Attention, real estate investors, contractors, and landlords. Are you looking for more properties? DelawareValleyWholesaleDeals.com is your number one go-to source for off-market real estate opportunities in the greater Philadelphia area at blowout prices. DelawareValleyWholesaleDeals.com has been providing investors with below-market pricing on everything from fix and flip to long-term holds for the last seven years. Whether you're a new investor, 
a seasoned professional, or even a real estate agent. You need to know these guys. You can reach them by phone or email, but I suggest you head to their website and sign up for their preferred buyer's email list right now. Go to DelawareValleyWholesaleDeals.com and fill out the form on the front page. You can't miss it. It's quick and easy, and you will be sent the best opportunities in the greater Philadelphia area first. Again, that's DelawareValleyWholesaleDeals.com. 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 Sign up today. Hey, Ken Crotchock here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 16 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get my chance to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw, pun intended. Today's rant is actually a part two, or maybe even part three, depending how you count things, because in episode 13, I ranted about the quote-unquote criminal justice system, quotes around the justice, but today I want to focus on one particular aspect of the justice system, the courts. You ever been to court? What a spectacle. There were men there wearing dresses in the days even before the gays won their revolution. They have terminology there and processes that take years to learn. And heaven forbid you ever step out of line in a courtroom. Good grief. If you're an attorney, they'll hold your bar card over your head. You step out of line, the judge takes it away, and you can no longer practice law. He's enforcing a monopoly that they shouldn't have in the first place. That's what they do to attorneys. But if it's me or you stepping out of line, contempt of court, they yell. And then they'll fine you or toss you in the clinker or whatever. Contempt of court? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do hold our court system in contempt. Quite a lot, actually. You know why? Well, as I mentioned in episode 13, let me give you a quick summary. They've effectively taken away the regular person's access to justice. With their $500 an hour attorneys, whether they pay for it themselves or with court-appointed attorneys... These arcane procedures, and how many studied Latin in school anyway? And as I just mentioned, that jealously guarded monopoly. Oh, heaven forbid if you practice law without a bar card, then you'll be going off to the clinker again. And they praise upon citizens in their most vulnerable, vulnerable moments of troubles. And you know what really gets me? If you're in the court, the judge always asks him, do you understand the charges against you? <laughs> do you believe that? What a laugh. Sure, your dishonor. I understand all the nonsense you've been saying that took you four years to learn, another four years for you to get good at. Sure, sure, I understand all that. Not. If I ever find myself in that position, that's the first thing I'm going to say. Do you understand? No. And I'm an intelligent kid, too. <sighs> Ask yourself, would you go into court unassisted? Do you understand the beginnings of it, the ends of it, how the gears turn, why they turn, and how to put sand in them? I doubt it. I play around with the courts. It took me a lot of years to reach the low level of understanding that I have today. I navigate the court system like a student driver on the Schuylkill Expressway in rush hour. People beep their horns at me and I'm surprised I get off alive. I'm not an attorney, proud to say I'm an IT guy. Nor do I have the stead of an attorney, as they like to say. But I've been in court many times for many reasons. I like to fight traffic tickets. Ask my wife every time I get a traffic ticket, I'm happy gives me another chance to learn. I've been out there fighting unconstitutional tax laws, and I've won, interesting. But sometimes I've lost, too. It goes both ways. But in every case, pardon the pun, I always come away a little bit smarter. Until I finally reach a point now where I think I could safely say that I know enough about the court system to say that it is flat-out bad. 
It should be replaced as soon as possible with something else. But with what? I don't know. Bob and I were touching on it a little bit there, and I'm not sure we even came close to a solution. Of course, this is the Pennsylvania Project. We are all about solutions. So what's the solution to, to men in dresses? And no, I'm not talking about our ligbit friends. What do you want to do, bring back the white powdered rig wigs? I hope not. Let me, let me toss out a couple ideas there. And these are just some suggestions, things that may or may not work better. Let's start with, with the man in the dress, the judge. Rather than being some kind of a deity who's handing down divine judgment, or punishment, or retribution, Bob, whatever you want to call it, how about having the judge serve as something of a referee instead, who makes sure that no one's rights are trampled? Like, too often that happens today. Can you imagine that? Judge actually working for you when you're in the court there? Do you know today, if you make a mistake in court procedure, and I've done this myself, if you skip a step that would win the day for you, the judge is under no obligation to tell you. He could just sit there and smile. He has no obligation to explain himself. If he says, oh, you're overruled. Why? Silence. He doesn't have to tell you. He has no obligation to help you at all. Cut me a break. What's wrong with this picture? Where's the justice? Instead, you're left hanging on a meat hook of a $500 an hour attorney. He says, oh, we have to do this five more times. Another retainer, please. Judges. Something wrong with the way it's set up. And then there are the juries. Man, oh, man. Do you ever serve on jury duty? When did I do jury duty? I, I did that, uh, must have been, I forget the episode right now. I don't have it written down. What's the matter with me? It's episode 11, there it is. And you know, the judge, when he's giving instructions to the jury, he never tells the jury that they have the right to try the law as well as the facts of the case. Never tells the jury that they can find the defendant not guilty if they feel that the law is wrong or should not be applied in this case, even though the person may be guilty as all hell. Jury nullification, it's called. Episode 11, that was it. Take, take a listen to it. It's my rant at the end. A gift to Pennsylvania from William Penn. And if you did serve a jury duty, did you notice how they stacked the jury right in front of your face? Voir dire, they call it. In the translation, that's Latin for stacking the jury. No, it's called hear and see or something like that. It means they could toss out anybody they don't like for any specious reasons just to improve their own chances for winning. Stacking the jury. Is it me or does that seem wrong? Why not, why not be random about it? Let's just take every tenth person or something like that. No questions, no stacking, just a selection, a random selection of, of regular people. Good grief. And how about volunteers? I want a volunteer to be on the jury. I would love to be on the jury just so I could bring a freedom principle there. But if you said that, oh no, oh no, you can't volunteer, that just wouldn't be fair. Yeah, right. It would make it more difficult than to stack the stupid jury. Man, oh man. There's lots more I could say about jury duty. In fact, I, I already did. Like I said, go, go to episode 11 and, and check it out. And then there's the sentencing. Bob and I started on that, but good grief. Multi-million dollar settlements for spilling hot coffee on your lap. Time served for the crime of rape, affluenza. I'm not gonna have time to go into all this. Good grief. Am I, am I pre presenting some radical approaches here? Probably. But you see, what we have today is already too radical. 
for all the reasons I mentioned and too many more reasons I don't have time to tell you all of them. Part of another episode's rant, I guess. That's cool. Be ahead of the game. But definitely something needs to be changed with the courts. Maybe not, ran- maybe not random jurors. Maybe not eliminating the monopoly on attorneys. Maybe not defanging the judges. But if we don't defang the judges or eliminate their monopoly or reform stacking juries, what? You know, I said this at the end of episode 13, and I'll say it again today. Here at the Pennsylvania Project, we are big on solutions, but I am at a loss. Do you have any ideas, short of revolution, how we can take the quotes off of our quote-unquote justice system? Let me know. Send your ideas, PennsylvaniaProject.com, and we'll see if we can free the people from the tyranny of the quote-unquote justice system. On that sad note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 16 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us here at PennsylvaniaProject.com. You can hear us there, too, as well as iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator Margaret Sassuni, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, radio producer Brett Kronberger, executive producer Mark Pizzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.